welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. My name is Mike Prada, and in this episode, we will be resuming our off-season team-by-team recaps and previews with the Milwaukee Bucks, one of my kind of most intriguing teams of next year. A lot didn't go well for them last year, but they got Giannis, they have Jabari Parker, they have a lot of upside. Joining me this episode to talk about them, we'll have Frank Madden and Eric Name. They are co-editors at SB Nation's Bucks blog group. They also have a podcast of their own called Locked on Bucks that I suggest you all subscribe to for daily Bucks coverage. And this episode, we'll talk about Point Giannis and how exciting that is. We'll talk about Jabari Parker. We'll talk about the uncertain features of Greg Monroe and Michael Carter-Williams. We'll talk about what they need to do to get better and whether this is a playoff team next year and beyond. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the Limited Upside podcast on iTunes. Uh, search Limited Upside. You can follow us on Twitter at Limited underscore Upside. Leave us a review, whether it's officially on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting, both good, bad, and indifferent. Uh, we appreciate the constructive criticism. We want to get better at this. We want to help you guys uh, enjoy the NBA this year and beyond. So let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like I said. You can find us on Stitcher and all the other podcasting platforms. Ben will be back next week when we will be doing our episode on the Sacramento Kings. Kings fans, we have not forgotten about you. We seem to have resolved some of the scheduling conflicts we have with Sacktown Royalty. We plan to record that early next week right after the holiday as we continue with our series. This is the ninth of 30 of those, so go back if you're a fan of any of the teams that were worse than the Bucks last year. Go back and listen to those episodes. But for this week, we will be talking to Frank Madden and Eric Name about the Milwaukee Bucks. Enjoy. All right, so we're joined now by uh, Eric Name and Frank Madden, the, edit- the editors of Brew Hoop. Um, how you guys doing? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, that was Frank. Uh, Eric is on the other line. Uh, and we're going to talk about one of the teams that intrigues me most, to be honest, about next season, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think let's start really with kind of the most fundamental question about this and, you know, taking a step back. The Bucks two years ago uh, – they were coming off a 15-win season, and then they won 41 games and made the made the playoffs, surprised a lot of people. Let's go ahead and sign Greg Monroe. A lot of people talking them up as a potential sleeper team. And then last year happens, and it kind of didn't really work so well. Uh, they were a bad team for the first half of the year and a slightly less bad team once they recalibrated around Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, Eric, I, the fundamental question I think we should ask you to start is what, what exactly went wrong last year? I mean, why did it not? come together like some people expected and like I think the Bucks surely expected when they made that big free agent signing of Greg Monroe. I think the biggest thing with it was the fact that you just kind of look at the minutes distribution from the two years and in 14-15 you have 1,700 minutes to Jared Dudley, 1,700 minutes to Zaza Pachulia and just focusing on those two and none of the other things that surround the team and you go with 2300 minutes from Greg Monroe and 2400 minutes from Jabari Parker the defensive difference between those two pairings is I I, I can't think of two less similar 
<laughs> defensive pairings. <laughs> With Monroe and Parker, you have two guys that really struggle to fit into a scheme. They struggle with their rotations. They struggle on help side. And with Zaza and Jared Dudley, you have two guys that understand it wonderfully. They they get everything they're supposed to do on the backside. They get where they're supposed to be. They understand how to make calls for the rest of the team to understand where they're supposed to be. And that was that's crucial with a, a ton of other young players and a young core other than in 2014-15, other than Zaza and Dudley. That was it was huge for that team to have guys that could communicate and let the defense know. And you look at a top five defense there, and then all of a sudden you go to 15-16. Monroe isn't as vocal. Jabari isn't as vocal and quite frankly gets lost pretty easily on defense. So I, I thought that was kind of the biggest change is just literally flipping in those two in and out uh for each other. And I know it isn't isn't one for one or two for two with them, but for the most part, that's kind of how it worked that most of the minutes that Zaza and Dudley had Jabari and Monroe took over and it, it just didn't work defensively. Now that explains why the Bucks went from I think they were second the year in defense the year that they went 41 and 41 to one of the worst defenses in the league but the thought I think was that those two players would help the Bucks offense which was very poor even when they went 41 and 41 and it didn't so Frank why why couldn't that happen? Yeah, I think you you still had sort of some fundamental problems that uh, if you look at their signings this summer, um, I mean, I think they were trying to address both ends this summer, but especially on the offensive end with the three-point shooting. And, um, you know, I think the Bucks' lack of floor spacing has has probably been somewhat overplayed a little bit. I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, and, and it was good that Eric answered that question first because I, I blacked out until February. I don't remember anything that happened before Giannis <laughs> sort of became the you know point, whatever. Um, but uh, that's how I that's how I survived two decades as a Bucks fan, Mike. You just sort of like block out, you know, the past. Um, but I think the you know the obvious thing you can start with you say, well, you know, they they didn't have you know floor spacers. And I think that's there, there's something to that. I think especially when you get into bench units where you don't have guys that have sort of dynamic skills getting to the rim. I mean, you know, a guy like Jabari, um, you know, a guy like Greg Monroe. I mean, they you know offensively were were good with with Greg on the court for the most part last year. Um, Giannis as well. I mean, those guys don't necessarily have to space the floor because they can obviously do other things and they're they're very good cutters. I mean, obviously Monroe isn't you know the the greatest post player of all time, but but he's effective and um, you know they can do th- they can do other things. But I think when you look at sort of the rest of um, you know the guys on the roster uh, they weren't getting, getting much help from the rest of the guys I mean Michael Carter Williams you know you know a lot of people forget when he came over uh, after the All-Star break two years ago um, they were really good with him in the lineup um, especially with the starting five of, of Middleton Giannis um, Ersan Eliasova and, and Zaza I mean they played really well with MCW and it was the bench that let them down last year with MCW on the court um, and it became really stark around the All-Star break. Like basically all the Giannis lineups, no matter who was on the court as far as the starters, were really good and they scored tons of points. Um, but MCW lineups were really bad and then he got hurt and then kind of you just sort of forgot about him. So I think it was a lot of just, you know, O.J. Mayo didn't have a good shooting season, played very well, very well defensively, which nobody really kind of paid attention to, especially now that he's, you know, been suspended for a couple of years. But, um, you know, you just look at all the kind of peripheral pieces. I mean, Rashad Vaughn, arguably the worst rookie season in Bucks history and maybe NBA history. You know, you've got Johnny O'Brien still got legitimate minutes last year and was, you know, a complete disaster. Couldn't finish, you know, at the rim at all. Um, so I think, you know, there were no, you know, whereas previously you had at least you had, you know, Jared Dudley who could space the floor, even if 
it was limited. You know, you had um, a guy like Zaza who at least was, you know, a good passer and could be useful in those sort of push sets, um, making backdoor passes. Everybody that wasn't Giannis, Jabari, Chris Middleton was basically kind of worthless. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> um, and I think they found some better combinations, even without great spacing after the All-Star break. I mean, Jared Bayless had a, had a, had a breakthrough season as well, but was a disaster on defense. But that's a separate topic. Um, but I think they finally found some more success with Giannis having the ball in his hand. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that was because, you know, if, if just because he doesn't space, you know, you put the ball in his hands, you, you can't just back off him 10 feet and, you know, dare him to shoot because he can drive on you when he does that, when you do that too. So um, I think things offensively got a lot better after the all-star break especially when you look at sort of the non you know hot garbage lineups that they had and with some of the you know Damian Inglis and Rashad Vaughn getting big minutes late in the season but um but yeah I mean I think offensively to sort of take that big leap forward I think you're going to need sort of these peripheral guys or these rotation guys they brought in like Toledovich, Dellavedova to you know knock down open shots and um you know you're obviously to the extent that that Jabari Giannis uh, can can start to stretch the floor a little bit that'll certainly help as well but I think the offense I think will get there if you believe in these guys offensively I think good offensive players sort of figure it out even if maybe they're not ideal spacers um, and especially if they have, that, they have that supporting cast so I think last year is um, you know not something I worry about as much I think the defense is definitely a thing I look at and say okay that you have to you have to fix and you hope they can fix it um, and obviously there may be some personnel moves they have to do beyond where they are now I also wanted to add I, I thought a major problem was also misused parts I don't want to say mismatched parts because I think it all kind of works together and like Frank said I think the spacing problems are a little bit uh, overrated but it just seemed like okay you got Greg Monroe he's going to work great in these sets that we run from the elbows he's going to be a great passer and he is a great passer but he's not the most willing passer so all of a sudden the offense that you thought was going to flow well doesn't flow quite as well and you have Chris Middleton who's a great three-point shooter but you're not quite sure who your playmakers are so Chris Middleton is doing a lot of the ball handling and he's trying to figure out how to be a better playmaker and he, he really did improve from the start of the season to that February area where he was just great with the ball in his hands and pick and rolls so it, it'll be interesting to see like Frank says, I think all the with the offseason additions and with some of the moves they've made, I think the talent is there now. It's just a matter of whether or not they get cast into the right roles. And, and that's going to be a big thing for Jason Kidd this upcoming season. This almost seems like the price of being a weird team in a lot of ways, in terms of on-court weird. And that was what we loved about the Bucks two years ago. And when you're a weird team, it's hard to find, pl- you know, most of the league, players in the league are not weird sort of types of players you know when you're and when I say weird team what I'm saying is they're built around Giannis who is such a unique player Jabari is frankly unique player uh just this kind of kind of culture of length but also in terms of the style of play you talked about what is the push offense which can also is the corner offense basically the style play Jason Kidd plays when you're a weird team it's hard to find the right first of all philosophy wise you have to decide and we're going to go all out weird or we're going to try to be maybe a little more conventional to fill in the gaps that our weird team has given us and I think last summer they were tried to get I think a little more conventional you know they're Milwaukee anytime they can get a free agent like Greg Monroe you you get him and deal with the awkward fit obviously it hasn't worked out but that made their team in in a sense less weird and then now they're going back to, I think, embracing some of the weirdness that they have with Jabbar, with uh, Giannis at point guard. But like you, you guys have both said, and I'm curious what both of you think of this, it's hard to find good combinations of players when you have a weird setup. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the summer. Uh, you know, some of the moves they made, and we're going to jump ahead, 
Matthew Delvadova was signed explicitly because you don't need him to handle the ball as much, and Giannis is the primary ball handler. And Toledovich, again, added to space the floor for some of these guys. But what is what is the best sort of combination that they can come up with with the players they have to maintain sort of their weirdness with with where Giannis is, but also to fill in some of the obvious gaps in terms of both offense and defense and some attributes you need to win, you know, in order to succeed. Like what, what is, what is a combination that that would work? That's a, wow. That's a great question. Um, I think the starting lineup I've kind of come to terms with is Del Vadova, Middleton, Jabari, Giannis, and, Plumley, I think would be the best fit. But with all that being said, I still don't know if you necessarily have enough shooting on the floor. Again, you're going to be weird, and that's all good. Um, so that that's fine. But it, it's going to be very tough. One thing we've talked a lot about on our podcast is the fact that you're trying to figure out how you have three guys that are really small forwards in Jabari, Giannis, and Middleton. Like I know, I understand Giannis is a point guard. Fine, whatever. Um, small forward but, sized. Yes, all three of them are, I guess, the archetype of a small forward. So how do you make that work? Because there's not really a backup small forward on the roster. So how do you stagger those guys to keep one of them in the the nominal small small forward spot? And then MCW is still there, still on the roster. And obviously no one really talks about him with the Dele move, but he works better kind of as a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot. So that means he can't play with Giannis very much. So does he play purely without Giannis and then you match Delhi with Giannis at all times? Cause then all of a sudden you only have 15 MCW minutes for the game. So there's a lot and we haven't got to power forward where you have Jabari and Toledovich, neither of which play defense. So right. you have to try to figure out how do we have a defensive lineup with them on the roster? Uh, so there's a ton of very, they seem small in the grand scheme of things, but I, I just don't know how you put it all together. Yeah, and I, I would say, I mean, I think Toledovich, I'm really curious about his defense because I think he, I mean, from what I have gathered from him, I think he gets a little bit of a kind of, you know, white Euro, bad at defense, stereotypical unfairness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, think yeah, he, I think he can be okay. I mean, I, granted, you don't want him, you know, trying to chase around, you know, quick, wings or something like that but um but from what i gather i mean he's he's not a guy who's going to get pushed around necessarily um and you know i was looking at his defensive rebound rate i think he had a better defensive rebound rate than john henson last year which maybe says more about henson than than toledovich <laughs> um, but you know he's got a really anemic offensive rebound rate because he's not nowhere near the basket but um defensive i think he's okay um and i so i, I think that you know from the, the combination perspective i mean eric and i are pretty much in lockstep we've you know been um talking about this for for all summer so we're, we're we're pretty synced on this um i think you know it's interesting having mcw because i think he is a guy if you want to get value from him you have to put him you know give him the ball i mean having him stand on the wing doesn't really add a lot of value um so it's interesting you know i mean is jason terry gonna end up being your fourth guard uh, on many nights because you know he can actually shoot a little bit and you know he's got some of that <laughs> veteran guile to know where he's supposed to be, and maybe he's playing off of MCW. Um, that could be certainly something that you see, especially with MCW's height, giving him a little defensive versatility, and you can kind of hide Terry a little bit. Um, and then I think it is interesting, you know, like maybe you put Jabari with MCW more because Jabari is more of an off-ball guy, and Giannis, you know, is is sort of split off from MCW more. Um, I think all that's interesting. Um, I think we both would say, you know, 
if Greg Monroe was around, ideally you play him off the bench. Um, but you know, you yeah. put him on the bench, then obviously you have questions of okay, well, you know, Monroe and Teletovich, like you know, as much as Teletovich might not be a terrible defender, he's not protecting the rim. You know, he's not um, a great combination either. So I think I think the big thing, you know, you at least have some more weapons, especially with Teletovich. You at least have a big who can stretch the floor. You know, when Johnny O'Brien was your, you know, backup power forward on a lot of nights, I mean, he could hit like a mid-range jump shot, but, you know, he's not stretching the floor. He's not really commanding the defense to pay attention to him. So I think that is probably a, a really important thing because, you know, I mean, uh, again, a lot of people in Milwaukee like to compare Toledovich to, to Ilyasova just because he's been here. But, I mean, Toledovich's three-point rate is off the charts compared to Ursan. To I think it's like roughly double. We were talking about that the other day. So I think that's going to really... Um, have a have an impact, especially if you can find ways to put him on the floor with Giannis. And I would actually the one thing I would say with Giannis, I think Giannis may be more of a power forward defensively than anything, especially as he kind of fills out, um, especially in the modern NBA. And and you know we always kind of toy with the idea of you know point center Giannis if we'll see some of those lineups at some point. Um, but oh uh, that's yeah, oh <laughs> but boy. that's that's something that that Jason Kidd has been uh, uh, you know loath to do so far. He's always kind of preferred to have one center on the court at all times, and you know all of the Bucks. Big men seemingly can only play center, unfortunately. So uh, we'll see if maybe a Monroe move would would change that. But um, it's certainly been an interesting thing to watch as we move forward. Yeah, so let's take a step back. These weeds questions are really fascinating, but the biggest reason that we have them is because the Bucks franchise player is Giannis. And Giannis is a player that is very hard to put in a box. And obviously in February... The Bucks decided, you know what, like, we're going to start stop dancing around this whole thing. He will run the offense. He will be point Giannis. And after that, he really took off. I mean, he averaged, you know, it looks like 19, 8, and 7 uh, in the second half of the year. His usage went way up. He had all those really exciting games. He was the reason that people like me watched the Bucks in the second half of the year, even though they were well out of playoff contention. So big picture-wise, I mean, how – what kind of growing pains are left and how excited should Bucks fans be? Like where, why do you, and also why did this take so long? I mean, just, just thinking about the team centered around Giannis now as the point guard, you know, how does that change sort of the whole, where they are in their timeline? I mean, it's just such a fascinating thing to put a guy like that, at point guard. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, fundamentally from a timeline perspective, it, it's still a little crazy because with the 41 win season a couple of years ago, I think a lot of people mentally kind of attributed that to, oh, well, you know, it's because Giannis is really good and Middleton's really good now and we've got Jabari coming back and therefore, you know, onwards and upwards and, you know, everything's just going to continue to get better. And it's easy to forget that we're talking about, you know, Giannis being 21, Middleton being, I think, uh, if not 25, he's about to turn 25, uh, and Jabari being 21. And it's like, you know, you're not show me a roster that is you know based around guys that age who have been you know anything close to contention i mean maybe you know the 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 early thunder team that went to the playoffs or they went to the finals but um so i think we're still very much at sort of you know as much as bucks fans might be getting a little impatient because of that sort of 41 win blip uh you know i do think we're still sort of at the the start of of their overall kind of you know curve as a team um and we'll see. I mean, I, I think the funny thing is, you know, when you look at what Giannis did last year and, and, you know, the numbers you mentioned after the All-Star break, you know, nobody in league history has put up 19, 9, 7 and two blocks a game over a full season. Nobody ever. Right. And so in a lot of ways, you can say, well, if Giannis can just do that for a full season, which isn't easy, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, that's going to be straightforward. But if he can do something close to that, um, you know, get close to 20 points a game, be more of that kind of go-to score. 
even if he's not a knockdown three point shooter, uh, you know, you've got a guy who's an all star, you know, if, assuming the Bucks win, you know, win some games and you've got a really, you know, one of the league's most unique talents. So I think that that's a fascinating thing. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of wondering, well, why did it take so long to put Giannis in that spot? But, you know, I would argue, well, did it take that long? I mean, you know, again, the guy had just turned 21 when all this started happening. And, um, you know, Jason Kidd and, and Giannis himself have talked about that they didn't think he was maybe quite ready for it earlier. And maybe he didn't feel he was quite ready for that responsibility earlier. But we're obviously at that point now. And um, I think with Jabari and what we've seen from him is that I don't think Jabari is maybe the kind of ball stopping Carmelo type scorer that for better or worse that some people thought he might be at, you know, at his best coming out of college. He, you know, he's a guy who, who plays well attacking, um, you know, off of cuts, you know, catching on a soft closeout, going to the rim. So I, I think that kind of gives me hope that those guys can work together, especially given what Giannis can do defensively to maybe make up for some of Jabari's shortcomings. So I, I don't know. It's, I mean, I think we're getting now into sort of the big, uh, uh, the big picture of expectations and all that. But I think, you know, again, I think they're absolutely have to be better this year. And I think the supporting cast is better, but, um, you know, I still think it's definitely going to be a process to get this team to, you know, the point that's, you know, some people, not us specifically, but some people wanted to say, Oh, this is going to be, you know, a 48 to 50 win team last year. And, and obviously I think we're still, you know, a couple years away from that at this point. Eric, what are the chances Giannis is an all-star this year? Good. Um, I, I think that I think that ooh, I'll go. I'm seventy five percent chance. That's uh, wow. That's very. I think that's pretty high, and I, I think it's. I would. I think it's more than fifty. I don't know if I would go seventy five though. Yeah, I had I, just, I had sixty percent in my head for some reason. I, I think you know, and and again, I'll, I think a lot of that's baking in that the Bucks are you know not terrible and depressing, but <laughs> that right. might be the <laughs> that might be the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle because I think he'll put up big numbers, and obviously people love big all around numbers, and he's gonna have the ball. I guess the reason why I'm close, like I'm at seventy five, is just because whether or not they win, Giannis like owns vines, like he's just mm-hmm. he's just in the public the public sphere. Like you're gonna see him, you're gonna see some dunks he does, you're gonna do some, you're gonna see some crazy euro step he does. He's probably gonna have a couple cool passes, and I, I just think that kind of goodwill helps you get one of those final spots, whether or not you deserve it is is always another question but one of those final coaches spots like there could just be a coach that you know Giannis dunked on us a couple times that night it's still fresh in my mind like that's that's a guy I want to fill out this roster yeah I was just add I mean I think you know because obviously you would assume it'll come down to a you know a coach's vote spot for him I'm, I'm not expecting the uh you know Greek vote to uh to, to, to turn out in mass and and vote him into an all-star game but I think uh they're not as active as the Georgia fans for Zaza <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah Giannis and, and Giannis and Zaza go way back maybe Zaza can put in a good word um, <laughs> but uh but I was gonna say I mean I think the you know Giannis is going to be the guy that that you know, coaches have to game plan around to a large extent now this season. And I think he's such a, you know, you're kind of saying, you know, the Bucks are weird and that weirdness begins with Giannis. I think there's some benefit to that because, you know, you, you don't normally have to face a guy. You know, you don't normally have to put your small forward or best wing defender on, you know, a seven foot primary ball handler. That's not normal. So I think it's going to be interesting, especially in the regular season where teams have to, you know, have less prep time to prep for the Bucks. Um, I think it's going to be interesting, but I think he's obviously going to be a guy that, you know, coaches are certainly going to be very aware of for better or worse. Uh, and, uh, and I think he's obviously going to be kind of top of mind. And if the Bucks are playing well, he's going to be the, you know, the obvious guy that, you know, 
it, it, well, Chris Middleton will probably always be a little underrated as far as his his what he does for the Bucks. Giannis, I think, will be a guy that you know, let's say, is at least appropriately credited. I don't think Giannis will ever be underrated as far as his value to the Bucks goes. So I think that's obviously important too, as you think about that kind of like you know the the, the All Star recognition specifically. I believe you're talking to someone who once put a headline out two years ago that Giannis is reinventing the game. So I agree with you that it will come down to the the. Uh, the highlights and all that will make a big difference. Uh, you mentioned this, Frank, a little bit, and I want you to expand on this. We talked about Jabari Parker, and I think that a lot of people's perceptions of him are not exactly reality. Here's some interesting stats for you. No player in the NBA, no non-center in the NBA last year scored a higher percentage of his points on basket cuts than Jabari Parker last year. Don't know if you knew that. Am I impressing you guys? Baseline. Eric has a has a nickname. He's been desperately trying to get into the. Oh, it's a hashtag. It's out there. <laughs> what is it? Baseline bar. Baseline, baseline bar. bar. Nobody runs the. Ba- nobody waits for those little dump off passes on a drive to the basket like like baseline Bari. So we're we're getting this out to the national audience here. He's so he's so good on that baseline. Oh my gosh. Well, the other thing that's interesting too about Jabari. Here's another stat. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. We're talking nearly 70% of his shot attempts came off zero or one dribble. So to speak to your point, Frank, he is not a ball-dominating player. And so it almost feels like in the second half of the year, again, when the expectations were all off, and I think sometimes we get carried away with stuff that happens from February on because some teams are sort of switched off by then, and it's kind of a good time for experimentation, but maybe some of that stuff doesn't hold. Those two guys, I think, found a rhythm, and... Jabari is not a ball dominant player. He plays off others. You know, do you expect that to continue or do you think he'll work to expand his game a little bit more this year? Yeah, I think he's a guy who who probably, I mean, to, to kind of reach that next level, he's got to be a little bit more capable and a little bit more confident in, you know, getting the ball, uh, you know, at the elbow and and attacking off one or two dribbles and getting getting a shot off and, and getting the rim, drawing fouls, um, doing that kind of stuff, especially when he's playing, you know, with more second unit type guys. If he's, you know, not sharing the court with both Giannis and Chris and, you know, for now, Greg Monroe, um, you know, last year we didn't really see him. It, kind of only happened in fits and starts. I'm thinking back, uh, Eric, you may remember that game in Chicago where he had like a bit of a run against the Bulls second unit where he was kind of mm-hmm. the main guy out there. But that really wasn't kind of the game he had, which is interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people just sort of assume like, oh, Jabari's an alpha. You know, he's a guy that you can just throw the ball to and get out of the way. And he's, you know, not as athletic. And it's like, you know, it's funny looking back at Wiggins and, and Parker now because, you know, Wiggins has become sort of the chucker alpha type scorer guy who draws lots of fouls and, you know, takes lots of shots, lower efficiency. And Jabari is sort of the more like, oh, I'm going to just sort of bide my time and play off of others. And, um, you know, not that he's, uh, you know, uh, he still has the issues on defense. We thought he would. But uh, but I, I think Jabari has to kind of grow in that sense. Um, you know, we we had a podcast with with Brett Coromenis um, of Real GM. And, you know, Brett was talking about, you know, something that a lot of people make, would, would nod their head at, which is, you know, he's got to build up his, his shot equity from behind the three-point line, especially in the corner. Um, you know, think about how valuable he is cutting the baseline, you know, without a three-point shot. Now imagine if, if teams have to account for him out on the arc and, you know, they have to kind of keep their, they, you know, turn their head a little bit more. Um, so I, I think he's a guy that, you know, absolutely he has a lot of room to grow, um, you know, off the dribble, you know, one dribble, jump shots. He got more confident as the season went on, but, you know, his, certainly his jump shooting last year was was not impressive on long twos. It certainly wasn't impressive on threes. And, you know, for a guy who 
always shot the ball from three in, in high school. He was a good three-point shooter, relatively speaking, in college. You know, he's a good free-throw shooter. There's no reason to think he can't be a passable you know, corner three shooter, a passable mid-range shooter. And I think that's you know, a big area where we saw some growth from him after the All-Star break. And you know, we know that he can get to the rim and dunk. And you know, he's, he's looking possibly even more athletic this summer than he has previously, which is kind of scary. But, um, but obviously, to kind of get to that next level, I think he's got to you know, refine those sort of other parts to his game, which ironically, we thought those were sort of the things that would differentiate him. And now it's just a matter of kind of showing that he can do those. Yeah, I think I would agree with Frank that there's uh, it, the image people have of Jabari Parker is very different than what Jabari Parker actually has been thus far. And I know we recorded a podcast, I think at the start of last season, before the year, and I was talking to Frank about how much I loved the possessions where Jabari was taking a bunch of dribbles and shooting some just terrible step back jump shot. Like it was an awful shot, an awful possession, but I was saying, like, okay, like he has some of that in him. Like that's exciting. Like that's kind of the shot that an alpha number one type of guy would take. And for the most part, I don't really remember seeing a lot of those jump shots last year or really those possessions where he would take a lot of dribbles. And obviously the numbers kind of bear that out. But it was just interesting to think of, I, I've always thought like he's going to be that number one. He's going to take all these dribbles and shoot these step back jumpers. And that just hasn't been who he is. And it's really interesting too. When we talk uh, earlier, I mentioned that the Bucks need to find a way to stagger Middleton, Jabari and Giannis. And I think the thought process was always, all right, well, there's going to be nights where Jabari gets staggered onto the second unit and then he's kind of the man for that second unit. He's going to take charge and he's going to make plays and the offense is going to run through him. And that was a major question mark. Like Frank mentioned, there was the the Bulls game where it happened, and there was a couple other games where it was Jabari is the lone star on the floor and then four bench guys, and he, he really struggled in those situations. And there there's just a lot of deferring that Jabari does that I don't think I necessarily expected as he was coming out of college, where he's kind of thinking through things and thinking what's the best shot for the team rather than, obviously it's me like I'm going to take the ball and I'm going to score or I'm going to create or I'm going to do something here with the basketball. And it's been interesting to see that there's more deferring going on with Jabari than I think I would have ever suspected. So that may change as he gets more comfortable after the ACL surgery and he feels more confident in his body and his athleticism. But as of yet, like it's been something that we haven't really seen. And again, it's still pretty impressive that after the all-star break, he averages almost 19 points a game in pretty much just work the baseline like yeah that, that was pretty much all he did and again 19 points that way like that seems pretty effective yeah i i like your nickname first of all i think it's good thank I you think it, i think it should catch on that means so much that means so much to eric you don't know how that you just made it say <laughs> you really don't know should i tweet out in the the hashtag in this uh <laughs> oh my this god yes <laughs> mike don't don't tease me don't all tease right. me all right all right i understand i'll keep expectations low for you uh <laughs> well i think jabari does need to take more on besides what he does because i i thought it was interesting that chris middleton's usage rate jumped by four points this year uh, and it was actually higher after the All-Star break. And I wonder if it benefits the Bucks to sort of tilt those two guys the opposite way. Uh, so just because, you know, Middleton, you need his shooting to space the floor. Uh, he does a lot of other things, but I think if he's on the ball, then it's harder for the Bucks to space the floor. If you tilt the usage so that Jabari is more at 23 and Middleton is down at, well, I don't know what Jabari was this year, uh, lower, then that I think is better for the Bucks as a whole. 
Yeah, and I, I think everyone that watches the Bucks regularly, Bucks fans, all agree with that. And I think we're all kind of surprised to see it go in the opposite direction. And don't get us wrong, like I've I wrote I don't even know how many words about Middleton's playmaking. Like it really improved and he really became a good playmaker there in January and February when that usage was took that significant bump. But at the same time, that isn't the best way for the Bucks to be using him. Like his shooting needs to be leveraged. And it's kind of a waiting game where you just keep thinking, when is Jabari going to take those playmaking reps from him? When is he going to do it? And really, for the most part, the Bucks took out a lot of the stuff that they used to run for Middleton. I know a, a, like a month into the season, I asked Kid about, why isn't there any more of those baseline floppy screens for Middleton? And they got pretty much removed from the offense. And those are those easy ones where he runs on the baseline, picks a direction to go and gets a short corner jump shot or a corner three or curls around to an elbow for a jump shot. Those disappeared. And you would think if those disappear, it's going to be some pick and rolls for Jabari, but it ended up just being pick and rolls for Chris. So I think there's a little bit of a waiting and a desire from Bucks fans for Jabari to take some of those roles. And you don't want to say it, but stick Chris in the corner. Like that's your best role. Like go stand in the corner, Chris. Like we need you to shoot these threes. And it just seems like it's not quite clicking that way. Yeah, I think this is sort of the perils of having two 21-year-olds as your franchise players. It's hard to do that on an 82-game basis. And players like Middleton are very good, but are often can be crutches uh, for coaches because they want to win. And so that I, I'm, I don't think it's realistic to expect the tilt to be 100% one way or the other. I think if you just if they're close to each other next year, the usage rates between Parker and Middleton, I think that's probably a good sign of progress. Uh, the two guys, though, that I think – I'm actually a little surprised they're both on the roster right now uh, as we record on September 1st, so right before Labor Day, are Michael Carter-Williams and Greg Monroe. I mean, these were the two guys, Carter-Williams via trade, Monroe via free agency, that were supposed to kind of augment the core of Giannis, Jabari, and Middleton, and it really hasn't worked out that way. Do you expect those two players to be on the opening day roster and then last the season? Uh, I think with MCW, I think there is i think there has been more of an acceptance and and if you look at you know sort of what's been publicly said by members of the um bucks front office and coaching staff uh, it seems like there's been more of an attempt to make mcw seem like part of their future going forward and at the same time i don't think there's been you know any suggestion that he's you know locked into being a starter because obviously you know as, as certainly anybody who's thought about you know the the roster construction pieces we we're mentioning you know Della Vadova probably makes more sense I mean you signed him to play with the honest that's kind of the guy to kind of guy he is he did with LeBron um, but I think with MCW um, you know it's ironic because when when the trade happened I think like the week it happened um, I did a podcast with Steve Von Horn and Steve kind of went into detail talking about like, hey, look at what Jason Kidd did with Sean Livingston, another, you know, non-perimeter shooting uh, big point guard in Brooklyn. And maybe that's the archetype of, you know, how you kind of get some more value out of out of MCW as well. And, you know, I think certainly a lot of people hope for, you know, more ambitious <laughs> uh, numbers and, and a bigger role for MCW. But, you know, a 
a year and a half now into that experiment, I think if you look at, you know, kind of what he's done, where he struggled and, and his limitations and the fact that, you know, he's not likely going to become a knockdown three point shooter anytime soon, given, you know, he's 25 now. Um, I think that, that what that means is that a bench role would suit him well. And, you know, he's a guy who can, uh, I think exploit mismatches, especially against second units. And, and he had, you know, some good, some good, uh, months, I think, uh, you know, especially, uh, December played very well off the bench and, and for much of that. So I think MCW, you can make the most of him. I mean, again, he's going to be a restricted free agent next summer. He's paid nothing basically this year, $3 million. So I think kind of just riding it out with him isn't a bad course of action, especially if uh, you know, you're know you just not seeing much in the trade market for him. And uh, again, the Bucks bench in the past, as you know, last basically end of the 14-15 season and last season were definite weak points. So, uh, you know, again, if you can get him to buy into that, I think there's, there's certainly value for that. But also there's, you know, a process of kind of, you know, getting a guy to realize that, okay, yeah, you were the rookie of the year, but guess what? Nobody thinks of you that way anymore. And and nobody's got a starting job that they're just going to hand to you. So I think that'll be an interesting thing. I don't know behind closed doors, you know, how much MCW has accepted that. It didn't seem like he had necessarily accepted that at, at exit interviews. Right. Um, and, and good luck accepting that when he's up for a contract. Right. Exactly. I think getting him minutes, especially, you know, if he's playing like, you know, 18 minutes and Delvadova is playing 30, I think that'll be really hard for him to accept. If he's playing, you know, splitting or playing a little bit more even, then then maybe it's a bit better. Um, but I think with Monroe, um, it's been a lot tougher because I think just, you know, just the fit doesn't make sense. Plumley, you know, as a role man playing with Giannis and even Jabari. I mean, Jabari seemed to have good chemistry with him as well. Um, and, you know, Henson's kind of like a kind of split the difference type guy, offense, defense, obviously more defensive, um, but can do some rim running. Obviously, he's not going to be a guy who, you know, needs the ball like Monroe. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like uh, I, I'd say there's maybe a 50 50 chance that Monroe's moved before, before uh, the season starts. And I think if it happens, it'll probably be, you know, basically kind of a salary dump move with a team like the Pelicans, probably. Um, because obviously it's it's just difficult to find places where he fits in very well. And now that, you know, most teams' cap space is gone, there kind of aren't obvious places to just sort of throw a $17 million uh, player. So I just don't think they, you know, I think in in the front office's minds, I think they've kind of moved on to the idea of, of needing to build around the other guys that they have. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, like, they don't want to give them away, but... By the same token, I don't think Greg Monroe wants to, you know, play 20 minutes going into a potential contract year either. So I think that's probably a tougher one to to, to figure out. But um, I think the Bucks are probably more motivated to do it. I, I just wanted to add, I heard Frank talking about MCW, and I know at the start of free agency, I was thinking, Deion Waiters is Deion Waiters, but during the postseason, he kind of did some cool stuff on defense. Like he was very physical against the Warriors. And you thought maybe this is a guy that's like a wing defender and can do some cool stuff. And I thought, you know what? If he gets paid, you could kind of convince MCW like, hey, you're not going to play the same role. You're not going to do all this. But like, look at how Deion Waiters got this money. And then Deion Waiters didn't get money at all. Um, so again, <laughs> um, MCW kind of it, it's a it's just gonna be so tough for this Bucks team to try to convince both those guys of a role that is gonna work out for them in a more limited role before contract season, like you said, Mike. Like it's gonna be really tough. Yeah, I was possibly the last member of Michael Carter Williams Island, and I'm starting to paddle away. So I'm really not oh. sure. <laughs> really not sure where he goes. But yeah, you, you guys hit it. I mean, those are two guys that just don't fit. And I think 
the Bucks were very ambitious to get them, and it means a lot to get a free agent to come to Milwaukee, but it hasn't worked. So it's going to be interesting to see how that whole situation works out. I want to get to a couple questions. As a reminder, you can always ask questions to me on Twitter at our limited upside, limited underscore upside Twitter account, or you can email me at MikePreda at SBNation.com. This one is from Sam McAdams. Who do you think the Bucks' leading scorer will be this season? That's a really difficult question because I think after the All-Star break, Jabari, Chris, and Giannis all averaged either 18.8 or 18.9 points per game. You're so they basically, they basically completely split the difference um, after the All-Star break. I would guess it'll be either Dabari or Giannis just because Pick one Frank. Well, I'm trying to kill time here as I as I try to go one way or the other. I think I, I think because I think Middleton's kind of like in a good spot as far as his usage. You mentioned, Mike, that his usage is maybe a little higher than you might expect. And um, you know, I think he's gonna be more of an off the ball guy this year versus last year. Uh, you know, we often sort of uh bemoaned uh steve von horn and i bemoaned the uh the tough shot express which was the uh uh chris middleton late game sort of uh you know clutch situation uh uh game plan which you know his his clutch numbers were terrible even though he was a his synergy numbers in isolation were actually pretty good but um i will say mm, eric you say something and then i'll and then i'll pick the opposite and come up with the reason for it <laughs> okay i'll take jabari I think they'll add enough to his role. I mean, 19 a game after the All-Star break with just dunks. If he adds something else in there, his usage goes up a tick. You're looking at like 22, and I think Giannis will focus more on playmaking, etc. Jabari. Okay, then I'll go with I'll go with Giannis because I think I will say this. I think Jabari is much more likely to develop a semi-consistent perimeter shot, just because as I mentioned, from a pedigree standpoint, you know, like nobody's been screwing around trying to tweak Jabari's shot. They've been doing that with Giannis, um, not this summer, but the past two summers. Uh, so hopefully maybe Giannis here coming into a second season without um, a, you know, kind of restructuring of his mechanics will hopefully lead to more consistent mechanics. Uh, Eric and I, unfortunately, often refer to Giannis as a jump shot, uh, jump shots as, as snowflakes because everyone is different. Um, and hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll see less of that. Hopefully we'll kind of see more consistency. He, you know, he had a few games late in the season where he knocked down more, more shots more consistently um so i'll make the case for Giannis. um i I do think there's a good chance one of those guys kind of just you know something clicks and they break out into like a 22 per game point per game type score i don't know if they both can do that especially with middleton around i don't know if they both need to do that um but i think with Giannis, especially because um you know again he's gonna have the ball in his hands and he draws fouls he gets to the rim you know i think he had like as many left-handed dunks as right-handed dunks he just sort of like you know stumbles into the lane and then just looks up and he's like, Oh my God, I'm right here and I'm super long. I'm just going to dunk it. But <laughs> what, what hand is this? Oh, I'm just going to dunk it right here. So, um, so yeah, I will just take, uh, Giannis's just prodigious skill set and, and versatility. And, um, I don't really care which one of us is right. Cause, cause either one could be a really good, good result for the bucks. Oh, that's disappointing. I wanted you guys to fight to the death. Uh, <laughs> you know, but Oh, well, uh, last is I wanted, this is a real quick one from at N O'Carter. Uh, Eric, do you think there are any future plans with Rashad Vaughn, or is this a lost cause already? Um, I would have to answer with another question. Can Rashad Vaughn hit a three? Um, if he can, I'm sure there's great future plans for him. It would be great to have another guy that could hit a three. But if he can't hit threes and shoots it like he did last year, no, that would be a lost cause. 
Okay. And the last thing I wanted to ask, because I know Frank brought it up earlier, uh, and I find it to be, I think, a very important question as we think about the Bucks, is that Milwaukee was a very bad defensive team last year. And I think to get back to where they were two years ago, maybe they don't need to be second in defense, but they cannot be in the 20s. So you're pessimistic that they will improve defensively. Why is that? I don't know if I'm pessimistic. I, I mean, I would say I'm pessimistic that they're going to get back to exactly where they were two years ago. Um, I think, you know, just from a defensive talent and personnel perspective, you know, as long as you're giving Monroe big minutes, which, you know, until further notice, we're, we're going to assume that he's going to be around and until he's not. Um, I think, you know, two years from now, I'd, I'd feel probably a lot better that the Bucks will be better defensively. I think going into this season with the personnel, um, I'm not totally convinced. Uh, they got a little bit better after the All-Star break last year. Um, and obviously if you move Monroe and, you know, your, your defensive, your big man rotation is, is Plumlee Henson. And, um, you know, if we know anything about John Henson, it's that he, he always gets beaten to, uh, to a rotation spot by the guy who's theoretically behind him. So, um, <laughs> we'll see, uh, I've, I've already heard sort of like people talking based on what, from, from people who've been watching Thon Maker in practice that, you know, watch out Thon Maker could, could eat Henson's lunch and be the guy this year that, that oh puts Henson, uh, out of a job. But, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think they can get better. I mean, I think, I think probably maybe not the ceiling of the team, but I think maybe sort of the maybe 75th percentile good outcome would be maybe something more around league average defensively. But it's tough to say. I mean, you know, again, I think what we didn't mention, I think scheme-wise, I think they were due to regress regardless of whether they'd kept the same personnel or not. I think the league kind of figured them out a little bit. Um, but look, I mean, the Hawks played kind of a similar-ish scheme to them, and obviously they were great after the All-Star break. But Couldn't rebound, though. And exactly. That's the Bucks and, and problem. That's the Bucks problem. And I think, you know, that, that's a big question, too. And, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, the coaches try to think like, I mean, you know, how do you get a bunch of young guys to just rebound? I mean, they just they just haven't done it defensively. They just don't rebound. It's been an issue for a couple of years. Yeah, I think it's tied to their scheme. If you're trapping all over the place and rotating, then it's hard to find a guy to put a body on. And I often think of offensive rebounds kind of like as if you've left someone open for a shot. It's sort of another way to just scramble the defense. So I, I think it's structural. I, I have a hard time seeing them being a good rebounding team unless they can make their scheme more conservative. Yeah, and I, I guess the thing, though, is like, okay, are they going to be, and I don't know how much worse. I mean, last year, the first half of the season, they were like, you know, 2% worse than the next worst team in the league or something like that, yeah. right? It's not just that they were bad. It's that they were, you know, I don't not a standard deviation worse than the, than the worst guys, but they were way off the charts bad. And so I think the question is, okay, how do you get to like 25th? Let's get to 25th defensively in rebounding. Right. <laughs> you know, get get to just regular bad, not, you know, worst in the universe bad on the defensive boards and then you know obviously the the forcing turnovers piece which kind of was their saving grace two years ago that that kind of ramped down a little bit last year and probably because you know again teams sort of figured out the scheme a little bit they didn't have as many sort of smart vets around um so i think there's you know again it's 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 got to happen organically to a large extent and i don't think you know kids gonna come out with you know uh tom thibodeau conservative you know scheme that that you know and, and completely reverse a lot of the principles they have but um but obviously there's things they have to change and um i think that's probably the best test of kind of kid and his coaching staff which you know they've had a good year and they've had a bad year now this is sort of the rubber year for them 
Um, you know, what do we see from them defensively? If they get to league average, I'd, I'd definitely be be happy with that. But, you know, to get there, as you're saying, I mean, they're not going to do it by defensive rebounding. They're going to have to do it by 14 turnovers and they're going to have to do it by, you know, um, contesting shots probably at the rim. I mean, their, their, their two point defense was their two point defense was arguably a bigger issue last year than their three point defense. Um, even though a lot of people kind of honed in on the three point defense last year. So a lot of that just gets to, you know, again, rotating, being able to challenge shots at the paint in the rim or at the rim in the paint. Um, and obviously, you know, having guys like Monroe and Jabari, you know, puts you at a disadvantage there. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and Hey, if they get to league average, that's probably a, a good sign. So many guys running free to the lane. Oh my gosh. So much easy dribble penetration. It, like you said, Frank, like I think the big thing is everyone thinks, Oh, the three point line, they're getting killed there. But man, it was, I mean, every other possession, someone going right down the middle of the lane. Yeah, and dribble and dribble penetration. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, I, I occasionally will see people. I've heard a couple people say to me, "Oh, Chris Middleton's bad at defending the three-point line." It's like, the, you know, Chris Middleton. You know, the Bucks defense isn't bad because Chris Middleton ha- sags back on three-point shooters. You know, the Bucks defense is bad because they let guys get into the paint and then the ball moves around and eventually, you know, somebody in the corner is wide open. So it's, uh, you know, it, having to trace that back. You know, Mike, you're, you're much better at the X's and O's than I am. Um, I think you could probably, you know, spend a lot of time uh, dissecting what the Bucks did wrong last year, but um, you know, I think it, it, a lot of it just starts at the point of attack and, and integrity, really, of the defense. Um, and obviously, that's you know, kind of brass tacks, you know, basic training camp stuff. And we'll see if they get better. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, the other thing is, I think they probably hope that by signing Deli and Toledovich and even Jason Terry, they'll have more smart vets like they did two years ago. Uh, last thing, we'll, let's talk uh, Sox expectations. Uh, I want to talk, first of all, how good do you think they'll be this year? And then I want to pose a thought to to you, Eric, which is that as good as their young situation looks, they spent a lot of money this summer for a lot of years on guys like Deli and Toledovich and Miles Plumley. Is there a concern that the ceiling of this team is not as high as it should be given the young talent? I think both Frank and I going into this offseason mentioned that, man, it'd be great if the Bucks were really frugal and they handed out like two-year deals. Like two-year deals would be great. And no matter how much you sign someone for, it's probably pretty difficult to sign a bad two-year contract. But you're 100% right. Their flexibility is pretty much non-existent once we factor in the Giannis and Jabari Maxes, which Frank would love to tell you about and is much better at those numbers than I am. But yeah, there, there's very limited flexibility for this team going forward so you're essentially betting the house on Giannis Jabari and Middleton and then maybe hoping for a lottery ticket in Thon um so or or you could draft another good player at 15 or so like they did with Giannis I mean just draft somebody Giannis yeah yeah I mean this is but I mean I I I say this in jest but this is something that that John Hammond has done well is find superstar or star level talent or good talent later in the draft that was the other way correct so so there is still ways they can use the draft uh but it is a scary thing i think and i think both frank and i kind of have talked about this throughout the summer that well if you you can sign all these people and i think that's always what fans want to do you you want to have the big sign and you want to get this guy you want to get that guy but at the same time you have to think about the future and kind of how that affects those things and yeah the, they're they're pretty limited as far as the cap says 
to your point about the two-year deals, I think they got caught in a market like a lot of teams, which is if you want someone quality, you're going to have to pay a certain number of years. I guess the counter-argument to that is rather than spend what they spent on, what is it, like $9 million on Delhi and $12 million on Plumlee and $10 million on Teletovich and pay market rate for the three kind of rotation players, maybe your sixth, seventh, eighth best, most important players, whatever – you could augment that money and pay for really overpay, like for your third best player or fourth best player. That would be the counter argument. But I think they did get caught a little bit. And I think the other the other way you could look at it is that they're going to be keeping Giannis and Jabari regardless. So you may as well maximize this window. But next year, I think they're going to be pretty interesting. Uh, Frank, do you see playoffs? Do you think that's real? Do you think that's going to happen? Yeah, I have a habit of predicting every year 41 wins uh, and a 50-50 <laughs> chance of making the playoffs. Um, uh, you know, and then we're either uh, I'm always, you know, I'm well, more often than not, as a Bucks fan, I've been disappointed by by that expectation, unfortunately. But uh, I think this year, you know, it was, it was funny seeing uh, Kevin Pelton's RPM projections come out and it was like 40.9 wins was the Bucks projection. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that, that works out well. Um, and so and I, and I, I think it's one of those things. I, I mean, if they were right around 40 wins, I think that would generally be a positive because, look, they're not going to get to 40, 40. One wins because you know Toledovich was a superstar or Delvadova was a superstar. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think they you know sneakily you know were were surprisingly good because of Zaza and Jared Dudley sort of amping up that record probably a bit more than it should have been. Um, but I think this year with the ball going to be in the hands of of Giannis and you know to a lesser extent Chris and Jabari, um, you know if they can win games. I mean, if you can win forty games, forty. Plus games uh, on the backs of you know two twenty-one year olds and a twenty-five-year-old. I mean, that's you're in a good spot. You know, that's mm-hmm. definitely a positive thing. And if you can do, you know, if and if you still have sort of defensive upside longer term that you can get better defensively, obviously that's you know even better. That that, that, that you know that can extend your ceiling as well. And, and certainly among the core guys, only Jabari is kind of a obvious question mark there. So I, I would sort of fo- focus around that end. You know, if they were in the high thirties, like wouldn't surprise me at all. I think the main thing is. You know, again, if they're, you know, 35 and and 47, you know, two games better than a year ago, then I think, you know, I would be very nervous. And, and, you know, if you told me that right now, I'd say, geez, you know, what went wrong? You know, and hopefully it was all the supporting cast guys falling flat, not uh, not the young guys, because, you know, as Eric said, you know, they're kind of all in on those guys and. The upside is that I think they did a, a you know a generally pretty good job of of trying to be, get uh, guys that complement them in free agency this summer. So they got you know their stretch four that can complement Giannis and, and Jabari. They got uh, you know Delvadova who can play off ball and and play defense at at the one. Uh, but as you said, also you know if this combination doesn't work, then you know you're going to need Thon Maker to be way better than the average tenth overall pick. Um, you're going to need something else to happen beyond uh, what kind of the current you know investment thesis is on the Bucks. So um, so I'm I'm optimistic, but you know again I think it, you know and I think people do it. Probably the Wolves are the best example where you know you take a super young team that hasn't done anything and you try to extrapolate them into a championship contender. That's really tough, you know, and and you're going to need Giannis to be a top. 10 player for sure maybe even better than that you're going to need Jabari to be you know not a, a net you know th- minus three RPM guy if you're going to be a really really good team and you're going to probably need Chris Middleton to be you know as good or better than he than he has been the last couple of years so um so I think there's a, a a big you know kind of you know mountain to still climb but um but I think they've got the kind of talent that you know they at least have a shot to get there that is way too nuanced and rational an answer for this <laughs> right there Eric Let's get more certainty. 
Are they making the playoffs or not? I'll give them, yeah. Yes. Uh, yep, they'll make the playoffs. Okay. All right. I actually I think their chances are better than people think, but it's so hard to predict the morass of East teams. Uh, so I I probably I, I totally forgot that you're asking about the playoffs in in my long soliloquy. Um, <laughs> so I will I'll say I'll say forty percent chance, Mike. I'll, I'll be chance. the I'll be the pessimist. I'll say forty percent chance. All right. I, I yeah, that's probably about right. I, I might go a little higher. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's really hard to predict that mess of teams in the East. But I, I think a just lot go to fifty fifty. That's where Frank wants to be. Just go to fifty fifty. I don't want to have to forty nine fifty one. Forty nine fifty one. All right. So the playoffs have a controlling interest in the team. I see. Perfect. Well done. Uh, but yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I am very excited about the Bucks this year, just mostly because of Point Giannis, but also because I like how weird they are, and I am very curious to see teams that try different things. So. But listen, thank you guys for coming on. Again, you can find Frank and Eric at uh, Brew Hoop. You can find them also on the Locked On Bucks podcast. You record that pretty much daily, right? We're, we're back to like two to three times a week because it's, you know, August, September. Nothing is happening. Um, but we, uh, we will be back to uh, daily come, uh, I guess, October probably when, when camp starts. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to dominate everyone's lives uh, on a daily basis with, with Bucks Talk at that point. Okay, and I cannot wait for my life to be dominated with Bucks talk, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I'm only half kidding. This team is very interesting to me. But anyway, thank you guys for coming on uh, to all of you. We will be going next with the Sacramento Kings, who we apologize that we have sort of passed over them. There have been some scheduling conflicts, but we will be recording that podcast at the beginning of next week. Until then, check out all our other team-by-team uh, specific podcasts. This is the ninth out of 30 that we are doing, and we will try to get to all 30 before the rest of this, the season begins. Uh, and enjoy your holiday. And until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>